Good morning. Welcome. Come on in. Grab a seat. We're going to get started in 15 seconds. Do I sound a little hot, Viren? Do I look a little hot? Does anyone, after a summer away, a little, eh? Sorry for the, sorry for the distraction. Okay, that sounds good, Viren. All right. Morning and welcome to Martelloup Church, although the joke all week has been... You guys should be welcoming me after a seven-week hiatus and holiday and mini-sabbatical and uber-well-timed rest, which has had an impact, uh, which has transformed sort of us as a family. We feel like we turned a corner, we found some space, we were able to breathe, and now we're ready to go. So hopefully you had some of that this summer as well, but for me, I did, so... Best church ever, Martin Loop Church. Anyway, it is good to be back, and um, this summer was amazing for a whole bunch of reasons. We did a 10,000-kilometer road trip out to Ontario and around the Great Lakes and through Michigan and back through the States, and it was filled with adventure and freedom and space and two close calls, so we're glad to make it back alive. Almost got knocked off the Mackinac Bridge by a tow truck who didn't like us, but we're here crazy. Um, but, but the whole thing just uh, seemed to uh, reset our lives. And uh, for Fran and I and Edward, uh, in a car together every day for like 32 days in a row, in the same hotel room, beds beside, like, and we loved each other, Fran, we loved each other <laughs> the whole time, madly in love with each other, and found ourselves again. So, all very, very good, and all very, very good to be back here, back to work for me today. And uh, excited for this fall. So if you got the email about the big change we're making into becoming what a regular church is for a little while, uh, I'll talk about that a little bit more later, but so excited for what that's going to mean for us in the months ahead. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to be known by God. So throughout the summer, and even before I left on my break, I was meditating on one psalm from the book of Psalms, Psalm 139, and just finding myself daily, phrase by phrase, moved by the all-knowing nature and being of God. And uh, I ended up having so many notes, there's no way you could even preach a sermon on all that. Um, but distilled a couple of the more important ones for me. I'm going to share some of those today. But before we dive into that, we're going to say a prayer and sing a couple of songs. Um, so you guys can come up while I'm praying, and you guys can join me in this prayer. God, thank you for uh, uh, home comings and um, yeah for 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 us uh, for me to be able to come back uh, to work to this space this place this community your people and already just to feel the love and the sense of home and uh, where things where I where we are supposed to be um, there's something about this little sanctuary that is just bright and beautiful and inviting and hospitable and good 
uh, a history of church in this place, now meeting this time and space, ready to go forward into the fall. Uh, and we pray that that hospitable, welcoming, truth-speaking um, reality of what church is and what it can be in this place, that it would continue um, in an empowered way by your Spirit. Today, empowered by your Spirit. That church here would be real and alive and beautiful and good and we'd get a sense of God and who you are and how you see us. So, so meet us in that way by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of uh, the best, nah, the best part of my summer this summer over this break was the re-familying of my life. So this summer, I became a son again. Both of my parents are still alive. Fran's mom is still alive. I fixed more things, hung more shelves, ran to the store for more sun-like chores, and loved it and was cared for by my parents, my mother-in-law. And it re-centered me and reminded me of who I was. I became a brother again, saw my two sisters, who are the most empathetic, kind, giving, selfless, there for others, again and again and again, kind of people. Deeply compassionate. And my, I became a brother to my brother, um, who gave me advice one day out on the Michigan Lake just about something financial. And it was just so affirming to hear from my brother that I did the right thing, <laughs> like he would have done, and we were brothers. My brother-in-law, Peter, who's always been the guy when it's been the car, right? And so when we lost all of our oil one day and almost blew our engine, Peter was the one who caught it and helped fix it. And it was great that we didn't blow the engine and we still had a car to get home with. But what was really great was after we'd fixed the thing, sitting beside him and going, oh, looking at him, I miss you, man. I miss this. And it was so good to taste of it again. Or architecting with Fran's brother, Henry, or cigar smoking with my brother-in-law, Anjay. I'm still recovering from that quarter cigar, and who does that? Who smokes cigars? No show of hands. And laughing with Fran's siblings, and loving my nephews and nieces, so many nephews and nieces, and feeling this parenting once removed, uncling kind of feeling anew. So I tell you, all of that together for over two weeks while we were in Ontario and Michigan, um, was so, so good for me and just reminded me of who I was and where I'd come from and allowed me to relationally experience my identity anew, know where I fit in in this bigger relational story. That was my, this is my family, and all I am to them is John. who I am. And if you're resonating with the story, then you know that knowing yourself, it's everything, right? When you know what time it is and who you are and where you are and what your name is 
and where you fit, what you're a part of. It's, it's everything in terms of security and confident, being confident of your place in the world and owning your voice anew and your very being. And, and it's true, I believe with all of my heart, that the only way we can fully know ourselves is by knowing ourselves within the context of relationship. We are relational beings made by a relational God who can only fully know who we are in relationship with others. The others God has given us. The other that God is for us. And if you think your family knows you well, think again. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. I thought about that a month and a half ago. All my ways. And all, all, every bit of every part of your life, all of your ways. Before a, wor a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely, which was encouraging preaching for the first time in seven weeks this morning. You know what you're doing. You hem me in behind him before and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain, God. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you, God. For you, God, created my... Now, insert you into this next phrase. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, God. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depth, depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. So, God knows you, like that much, God knows you. Your, your way of operating, your inner thoughts, your style, your strengths, your story, your weaknesses. God knows everything about you, warts and all, and like the best family member would, or you could imagine the best family member doing, God loves you and accepts you and me and us unconditionally like the most empathetic and kind and accepting sister would.
like your mom would. You know, my mom said at one point in one of our visits, oh, I remember when you were born and holding you, and you know, you just go. Like, talk about a long love for you that your mom had, I trust, for you. God remembers you in utero. God knit you together there. God loved you before time was made. And again, so if you think your family has known you for a long time, think again. God has searched you, sees the unseen things. Darkness, even darkness, is as light to God. God sees it all and knows it all. Which is encouraging and petrifying. <laughs> because God sees the glory of Elena. Elena's Elena-ness and knows what it's meant for and what it's destined for. And God sees the not-so-glorious things that creep around in the dark recesses of our hearts thoughts and words sometime. Over the past six months before even going away on this break, I have been on a huge self-awareness journey and learning so many things. It was overwhelming and a bit exhausting, but so good to learn so many things about myself, my, my blind spots as a leader, my fears, my weaknesses, these Achilles heels that keep getting triggered and causing me to respond a certain way, my insecurities, my unhealthy coping mechanisms. Um, yeah, I think about all those things in family. Ironically, a lot of it born there too, right? Like this beautiful mix of glory and brokenness, our families. Anyway, for the last six months, learning about things that, as I'm contemplating this psalm, I realize God has seen and known and named and understood clearly the whole time. Even as I'm going, oh, oh, these are not new things about me in the mind of God. And it struck me as this growing self-knowledge this year, you know, 60 years old. So, okay, this is, if you figure you'll have it figured out by 40 or you'll have it figured out by 7, you know, I think it's your whole life trying to figure this out. But this growing self-knowledge this year has played out in a different way, um, in a much less condemning, putting down, you know, muting your life kind of way. Um, much less that and much more, okay, this is true and this is why this is happening and this is why you're going to hear about this and this is why you're seeing it for what it is because this is what's going to happen. And then you're going to become more you in these kinds of ways. A life-freeing way. And it's as though the Spirit of God that I preach all the time is with us, is, is with us me is really with you in this deep personal unpacking and remaking he's not finished yet 
And it's like the Spirit of God is so for me. Of course the Spirit of God so for you, for us. Showing me these broken things so that glory and goodness can be released in a new way or reclaimed in a rightful way again. So sometime over that last month as I'm contemplating the all-knowing mind of God and how that sort of cuts deeply into my life and my soul and my being, could it be that God's all-knowingness is there primarily for this purpose? To see things, not to put a thumb on us or to make us feel guilty or ashamed, but to see things so that we could be freed from those things and become who He made us to be. The, the end to which God is moving is the complete restoration of you into you, Henry. God would die for that to happen. God would put all of God's godness in terms of knowing things and showing things and seeing things and naming things in your life to that end so that you could be you. And if that's why you're doing it, God, in us, then have at it. Because even though it's uncomfortable and you don't want to acknowledge your own brokenness and fallibility, have at it because I want you, God, more than I want those things. And God, help me to know you in the knowing moment, to know your Spirit's nearness when the truth is spoken in love. Help me trust you as you expose my life by your Spirit. Help us to respond to you, God, as you reach out to us and remember you, remember ourselves anew. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Grains of sand. You guys have all seen, I'm sure, a great lake or two, but we saw four. <laughs> so lots of grains of sand. Um, this phrase really came alive for us this summer as we circumvented those lakes but I can still remember the moment when I was contemplating the first line of that last verse. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. And I remember I was just in a mood that morning, but thinking precious, and it felt a bit pejorative and, you know, Gollum-esque maybe or whatever. It was just not, didn't seem like the right word. Spent the last six weeks talking about the enormity and the grandeur of the all-knowing mind of God. And then the writer says, how precious that is to me. Like it should have been a different kind of word, like immense or unknowable or inexplicable. And yet there it was, precious. So I started, as I want to do, unpacking the text a little bit and doing some searches on some Hebrew words to find out what the original Hebrew said and what those words meant. 
and then I encounter a translator's note that says that that phrase could also be translated this way. How amazing are your thoughts concerning me, God? So, how precious to me are your thoughts, God, or how amazing are your thoughts concerning me? And I thought, those are two different translations. I need to consider how much God thinks about me as opposed to the abstract, thinks about everything all the time. To consider how much God thinks about you is very much more personal and intimate and, I suppose, precious. And for my whole life, I've read it the other way. And so at that point that day, I decided I'm going to read it this way for the rest of my holiday. Just think about the enormity of all the thoughts that you think about me. The enormity of the number, innumerable number of thoughts that God thought about Leland this summer. All summer long. Yeah. What if I did? What if I became a follower of Christ that thought about how much God thinks about me more? I don't think we have any idea how much God thinks about us. And clearly, Psalm 139 is totally personal in this way. I think they should have translated it in this secondary way. You know me, Lord, when I sit, when I rise, when I move, when I speak. You created me. You wove me together. You saw my unformed body, etc., etc. So God thinks about you all the time. There is no one imaginable who thinks about you more than God thinks about you. You can't even think about you anywhere near as much as God thinks about you. Which for a person who's prone to myopia and thinking about himself and life and analyzing all the time way too much, I thought this could be a good spiritual practice. Just contemplate how much God is thinking about you and that'll push you out of the way about thinking about you all the time and maybe honor God in a whole new way. Just think about how much you're being thought about. What kind of God is that? If we had any idea how much God thinks about us, it would change everything. Any idea what God thinks about when God thinks about us, and it would change everything. And if we really knew right now in real time the love that is pulsing in and bursting out of the heart of God into the mind of God for you. Thoughts about you and you and you. Imagine how your life would change. So I tried to do that a little bit this summer. Tried to believe... Um, Another phrase that really struck me, one phrase in Psalm 39. I tried to believe what God believes and thinks about who I am. 
For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I always kind of, hmm, your works are wonderful, hmm. I know that full well. And it was that line, your works are wonderful, that I realized, you really have trouble believing that. I don't have trouble believing that about physics or trees or chemistry or creation, but I have a lot more trouble believing that about the work that is And I found as I try to practice that phrase and believe what God believes and think what God thinks about me, when I was distracted or messing up or doing the wrong thing or angry about something, it was very distant. But when I was prayerful and loving and generous and engaged and other-oriented, it was believable that your works your work that is me is even wonderful. When the Spirit of God animating my actions and my being is given free reign to help me and guide me into being fully me, then it, it would be, <laughs> it, we'd be dissing God <laughs> if we didn't say, God, your works are wonderful because it's your works making us in the first place and animating us in glorious ways. And so there were a few moments, not many, but where I said those words and really meant them about myself. I know this sounds pathetically egocentric, right? And there goes the tape. <laughs> but not true about you because I feel it about you, even though if you don't feel it about you, I feel it about all of us in this room at different times. The glory of God and this immense love and this unconditionality towards naming and seeing you for who you are. I have no problems doing that math and believing that God does that math concurrently with what's pulsing in me for you. But that is also true toward you when you turn that light, when God turns that light back on you. Your works are wonderful, and your work that is me, God, is wonderful too. I know that full well. So I hope you're getting the tension of that, right? Because who wants to be that person <laughs> who inordinately says that? <laughs> and we're not talking that, but talking about who before the face of God says that or hears that being said and lets it in. Your works are wonderful, God. Your works are wonderful. Your work that is me is wonderful, God. I know that full well. I mean, isn't there a part of you, just a small part of you, a desperate part of you that wants to be able to say that wholeheartedly and believe that? about yourself. I mean, don't you long to be that at home? That self-confident in the best sense? That knowing who you are and knowing that you're known by God? To be able to say that and know it's true? 
The God who knows it all knows and sees that longing. God sees your heart, and God sees you, and God knows you. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, God. I know that full well. Join me in a prayer. Each of these works gathered here, live and virtually, every mind and heart and set of ears listening in, hearing the words of Psalm 139, it's truth there. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And we do pray um, that for those of us for whom that language and that kind of self-appreciation alongside your appreciation of us is so difficult, that for all of us who are in that place, you would break, the, pull out the tape, <laughs> the, uh, the messaging, the, the psychological, uh, neurologically implanted tracks of thinking, just take that away so that people, so that we can know again uh, what you know about who we are. And a seed in the humblest, healthiest, most beautiful God-honoring way. So by your Spirit, do that, we pray. And... Uh, and meet us in that way, we pray, or, or do that this afternoon, or tonight, or this week. Just give us all a glimpse of uh, how you see us and what you say about who we are. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.